Welcome to the Arts and Minds podcast from Dominican University. I'm Leslie Rodriguez. Located in River Forest, Illinois, in 2020, U.S. News and World Report ranked Dominican University at number 10 among Midwest regional universities and number one for best value in Chicagoland. At the heart of the university is its Catholic Dominican tradition, grounded in the compatibility of reason and faith. The programs of the Live Arts and Minds series presented on campus each year are curated to reflect that tradition and build on the university mission to participate in the creation of a more just and humane world. This week's episode is from the Soul Stories Project, created by the University Ministry Center. Originally presented as part of the interfaith ministry Better Together Coffee Houses, the following stories were recorded in front of a live audience during the university's annual Caritas Veritas Symposium on September 26, 2017. The theme of the program was Clash or Conversation. University librarian Felice Mashevsky introduced the event. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Can you all hear me okay? All right. I hope you're all enjoying the Caritas Veritas Symposium today. It's been such a fabulous day so far. I'd like to welcome you to Soul Stories. You're in for a wonderful session of heartfelt stories, their stories, our students' stories, real stories. But before we get started listening, I'd like to introduce you to Amy Omi, who's going to share with you how this session came to be. Amy? Hello, thank you. Wow, I wasn't expecting a round of applause. Um, that should be saved for all these wonderful folks up here. So as Felice said, my name is Amy Omi. I work in university ministry. Um, and this project came out of a collaboration between Mission and Ministry and our Interfaith Cooperation Committee. Um, so last semester in the spring, we had this great idea. We have a couple of interfaith interns in university ministry, and we had this idea that we would create coffee houses where storytelling would be at the center. Like, wouldn't it be so neat to have some stories and come listen to stories and share stories? And it ended up being a huge hit. We did about three or four, I think it was four, last spring. And what we discovered through the course of doing it is that this community loves to, to kind of talk about them. So no, like to really like, <laughs> they really want to tell their story, right? So, and people really want to listen to one another's story. And especially when the themes are around identity and encounter, us encountering one another. Um, so because of the success, and we call these better together, because we're getting better together, um, at these coffee houses, um, we decided to apply for a grant so that we could create more robust effort and energy around this and that's how soul stories was born um and through the course of this i discovered a couple of things one is that dominican really does have an interfaith mission so you might not know what our interfaith mission is but i'm going to tell you we have an interfaith mission and it is to engage diverse religious spiritual and philosophical worldviews in order to create a supportive interfaith environment and prepare our community for global citizenship. Isn't that great? So that's what Soul Stories is seeking to do. So the four, there's four individuals that are here today. We had a fifth person. Dimrahan was not able to be with us this afternoon because he's not feeling well. So, um, But we have four storytellers um, that are coming from different faith and cultural backgrounds. Um, and they are going to share experiences of encounter. So um, each individual was invited to consider a moment or a series of moments in which they felt challenged by another worldview or a perspective. Now, in some cases, that worldview or, or perspective was from within their own traditions. They were kind of clashing or bumping against something within, within their own tradition. Um, or it was from somebody else, you know, like somebody's coming from a different perspective. In either case, um, their encounter led to new understandings. So 
Um, before we begin, I'm going to encourage you to turn off or silence your cell phones, maybe put them away, enter into this moment of really, truly listening. Um, and also, if you could refrain from taking any flash photography. I know Newton is very popular among the athletes here. Go athletes! But please don't distract him with like taking pictures and <laughs> flashing lights in his eyes, okay? So again, um, thank you for being here and enjoy. Okay, so as I tell my grandchildren, clip on your listening ears because you're in for a ride. You've got to pay attention to these wonderful stories. Our first storyteller, Yasmin Vasquez Moreno, will be sharing an experience of crossing the border between the expectations of personal identification and the very different realities perceived by others. Please welcome Yasmin Vasquez Moreno. Hello, um, so my name is Yasmin. Um, my story kind of started when I was younger. I was like a preteen, 10 or 12. And um, it, it's kind of a morbid story because it, it kind of revolves around the, uh, the death of my aunt. So when I was really young, not really young, a couple, well, I am pretty old now. So about 10 years ago, um, we got news that one of my aunts had passed away and it was kind of hard to deal with it because I remember my dad sitting us down in the living room. He was kind of like explained, like, oh, like, kind of explained to me because this was my mom's um, older sister and my mom didn't really have a mom growing up. So her older sister was like her mom, right? So she, he kind of sat us down and explained to us like, oh, well, La Gorda or my aunt, Tia Marta, um, has passed away. And my mom, you know, started crying. We kind of saw it coming because she was very sick for quite a while. And... Um, First thing we did was um, we called one of my aunts. We're like, we need to get tickets. We need to go back to Mexico. And it was kind of a bittersweet moment because every summer we would go to Mexico. And it was a really awesome moment because I got to see my grandparents. I got to see my aunts and all my, like, relatives because we really don't have relatives on this side of um, the States. So we went, right? And I was kind of excited but also sad because we were going to confront the, the sort of idea that my aunt wasn't going to be there anymore. And kind of to give you an explanation of what kind of aunt she was, my aunt never got married. She was this really awesome, um, she was kind of the director of the hospitals within the town where my mom lived. So she was really well known. She was very like outspoken and she drove a convertible and she was a very colorful person. So when we went there, um, I thought we were, so we got to the, we went to O'Hare, we got off and the thing that I really love about Mexico, and it sounds really weird, is that the billboards are in Spanish, right? It sounds really random, but like coming to the States, the billboards are in English. And when we get to Mexico, kind of all the billboards are in Spanish, I'm like, they're catering to me. They're like, they know, like, I know Spanish, and like, I can read this. And I felt really cool because I'm like, I can read the billboards. And my mom's like, cool. Um, <laughs> So I used to think this was so neat, like, I get to read the billboards, and, like, I'm like, oh, what does this word mean, Mom? And my mom was, like, explaining to me. She's like, oh, this and that. I was like, okay. But, like, reality hit once we got to the town. It was, like, a 45-minute drive from the airport to the town my mom grew up. And we get to the front doors. My mom lives in a very pretty, colorful house. Um, we get to the garden, and I see everyone up and eating, and there's music playing, and, like, people are laughing and talking, and I was just like what? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I got so mad. I grabbed my mom. Like, mom, like, why is everyone so happy? Like, my aunt just died. Like, why isn't anyone crying? And my mom, like, turned around. She was really calm. She's like, we're not, we don't mourn deaths here. We celebrate them. And to me, that was so weird because I had gone to other funerals. It was like Sheila's husband passed away. Um, sort of like these typical kind of American um, funerals, right? So I'm like, why isn't anyone wearing black? Why is everyone like really happy? No one's crying. Like this makes no sense to me. Like I felt so out of place and kind of like a foreigner, right? Like I'm coming to a country that I feel like is who I am and coming in and not like completely understanding what's going on kind of freaked me out because it was the first time I felt out of place in Mexico. Um, so I get in there, and I'm, like, kind of mad, and I was telling my sister, I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, I don't want to be part of this. Like, they're offending my aunt. And my sister's just like, chill. Like, sit down and just eat your concha. Like, shut up. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, okay, okay. So I sat down. I was like, like, these people. Um, obviously, my people. Um, <laughs> and so I sit there, and I'm just, like, so mad at this sort of, like, no one's mourning her. Like, this makes no sense. And, like, 
but at the same time, I kind of saw it as something so beautiful because I saw that these construction workers came in, they were all dirty. I'm like, why aren't they wearing their best stuff? And my mom was explaining to me, it's like, people like don't care how you look or how you express your outside self, you know? People here generally just care to come here, talk about your aunt and like celebrate the moments they had with her. And I thought that was a really nice moment, right? Like I was like, I was like, 10 or 12 and I was like yeah yeah like this is nice but to me it was still kind of weird I sat there and I remember people were praying the rosary and um this is a really like side funny story so punch in Mexico is warm and my like being my American self I was like they're doing it wrong like you're supposed to put ice in punch it's supposed to be cold so they're all praying the rosary and I come in with my big cup of punch and I'm like chugging it down and everyone just kind of stops and stares at me he's like what is she doing like like, did she not, like, burn her mouth? And I was like, no, like, I put ice in it. You guys are all doing it wrong. Like, let me teach you how to drink proper punch. My cousin was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, okay, they kind of just ignored me, and I was just like, pray the rosary. I was like, yeah, yeah. The next day, we wake up, and I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to go, like, cry? Like, are we going to dress black? Like, I was kind of expecting it to hit me, right? Like, we're going to do this the normal way, right? And no, we just got up and everyone dressed normally, like kind of with nice attire. No one really wore black and went to mass. And we had a procession across the town, right? Like when you're, well, in my town, we use when someone passes away, you do a procession with the casket. And my aunt was heavier. Her nickname was Gorda, right? <laughs> which means fat, which kind sounds mean, you know, like body image. We have to like, you know, respect people. But like over there, everyone has a nickname, right? Like I was Bucktooth and my sister was called Flies because she was really skinny. My brother was called um, something with, cur but it was offensive, you know, but they're nicknames, all right? <laughs> This is part of our culture. We give each other nicknames that aren't very flattering, right? And I was like, okay, so we did a procession, and she's, it was quite a heavy um, coffin. So everyone's like, well, who's, who's like willing to take her on? Like, it was like, and I, I was just like, this is insane. Like, why is everyone making fun of her? And like, she's not even here to like, you know? And my mom's like, you need to calm down. I was like 12, I was just like mad at everyone. And so we do the procession, and there's like music playing, and then we get to my mom's house, right, which is right across um, the church. And I'm not kidding you, it, the church and where we were in the garden, which my mom has, a, where she grew up, has a beautiful garden. It's full of magnolia, and there's trees, the pomegranate trees, and mango trees, like the most beautiful that you can possibly see. And there was like in the very back. In the garden there was mariachis and everyone was generally really happy no one was crying and to that moment like I kind of expected like wow like this is so beautiful like I've never seen something so beautiful before and it was the first time I generally saw my culture right because I live in the states and we don't majority of the time don't do that right like we assimilate we try to like not talk about certain things but like that was the first time I generally felt like oh my gosh like I felt really out of place because you know like I wasn't expecting what I expected but after the trip and after we buried my aunt it was generally one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my life and you know it did kind of suck because my aunt had passed away but at that moment I kind of saw that it was I wasn't technically losing my aunt. Like, I was joining this beautiful culture I was always part of, but, like, this was the first time I generally saw it full flesh and, like, completely colorful. And, yeah, so every time there's a funeral, like, I call my mom's like, so-and-so passed I'm like, I want to go. And my mom's like, whoa, like, that's really weird. Like, why? I'm like, it's such a nice experience, you know? Like, we celebrate it. And, like, when it's Day of the Dead, I mean, like, we go all out. Like, I dress up. And, like, my mom's like, you're taking this far out. Like, we get it. Like, you enjoy it. But it's getting a little out of hand. I'm like, no, like, like this is who I am. And I really love it. So, yeah. That's the end of my story. Thank you. See, I told you, you should clip on your listening ears. These are really good stories. All right. Um, thank you, Yasmin. That was wonderful. Our next story is presented by Nedin Thomas. He's it's also about, did I say that right? Nedin, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. You guys were laughing at me. You're tripping me up here. All right. Our next story, presented by Nedin Thomas, is also about issues of dispute over perceptions of personal identity 
and how dispute can lead to a deeper sense of acceptance and understanding of others and of oneself. So please welcome Nedden. Uh, so my story is one that's filled with a lot of conversation and relationships. So I'm going to sit down and level with the audience real quick. Um, you ever just have one of those moments where reality hits you for the worst and you just don't want to do anything for that day? Um, I remember one time I was driving to Chick-fil-A dressed up as a cow. Um, <laughs> no, not because I find cows sacred. Um, <laughs> but... Chick-fil-A had a promotion for uh, free chicken sandwiches if you dressed up as a cow. Um, and so I jumped into my 2002 Toyota Blue Sienna minivan, which, uh, rest in peace to Lucy, she was a great ride. Um, and I remember, uh, I remember sitting at the intersection of Plum Grove and Golf to all my locals that might know where that is. Um, I remember sitting there and seeing the banner that said, uh, free Chick-fil-A sandwiches, um, grand opening. And I was so excited. Chick-fil-A sandwich, Chick-fil-A sauce, medium fries, blue Powerade, easy ice waiting me right there. So close. Um, and I was listening to Happy by Pharrell Williams, which let me tell you at the time was a good song, all right? It wasn't used, <laughs> wasn't used to torture people. Um, and so there I am, you know, jamming to Happy and seeing Chick-fil-A. And, uh, and then that's when reality hit me for the worst. And I realized that I was driving without my wallet. Um, <laughs> more importantly, without identification. Um, and I was driving without identification of who I was. Um, and I tell you this story because that was me for 20 years of my life. Uh, I drove without any identity of who I was and I was just living life aimlessly. And it wasn't until I got to Dominican and uh, the, the values of Caritas and Veritas collided with my soul. Um, and I'm just here to tell you a little bit about that story. Um, growing up, I was very insecure about being Indian. Uh, I used to crack Indian jokes all the time that were very self-deprecating. Um, I used to make fun of my last name being Thomas and not Patel, which is a very traditional last name. Um, and the reason for that is the disciple Thomas, in response to the Great Commission, actually migrated to South India and converted many Hindus to Christianity. And so the lineage of my last name being Thomas continues to this day. Um, and so in reality, when I was cracking these jokes on the inside, what I was screaming was, look, I get I'm brown and I hate that I'm brown, but I promise I'm not different from you. Um, and so when you have this inner clash, it manifests itself outwards. And so a lot of the times I would have a lot of behavioral problems. So I was in and out of the principal's office quite a bit. Um, I remember this one time um, I got pulled into the principal's office for bullying a kid. And so the principal's sitting across from me and he goes, I think there's something deeper going on here. I'm like, sure. Um, he goes, I think you're insecure about being Indian. Um, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And so he gives me this stern talking about how I need to accept who I am and my identity and whatnot. And it really flew, ah, flew over my head. Um, and so I think, you know, and for me, I was just trying to get out of detention at the time, but uh, it didn't work. I was stuck in detention anyway. Um, so I remember sitting in detention and he assigned a second generation Indian teacher to come talk to me about my insecurities. Um, and she kind of, you know, talked to me and uh, it was, it was kind of working, kind of not, you know, I was just trying to get out as quick as I could. Um, and they gave me, they gave me an assignment. Um, and I remember to this day vividly, what I had to do was uh, I sat in that desk all alone um, in that classroom. Um, I guess every other junior high kid was good, but um, um, I sat in that desk alone with papers right before me. There were three of them. And uh, as soon as I put my pen to that paper, I never lifted my pen back up because there was just three pages of insecurities that flew from my heart to my mind to that paper. Um, and by the time I was done, there were three pages worth that were done and I, I just couldn't believe it. And I think that's when I realized that I don't know who I am and I need to figure that out. And so I think the first step to figuring out your identity is figuring out uh, that you don't have one. Um, and so that's a little bit about my culture background and my faith background. Um, and I'll go ahead and answer uh, the, the elephant in the room. Um, no, I'm not Hindu, um, I'm Christian. Um, which is funny because I hated the church growing up. Um, I went to an Eastern Orthodox Reformed church growing up. And yeah, I, I know what that sounds like. It was very boring. Very, very boring. Um, and so I hated going to church on Sunday because uh, Monday through Saturday, I'm trying to figure out who I am and I'm having this internal struggle. And finally, you know, I get to Sunday and I'm like, yo, like I, I'm a Christian. I identify with you. Like I, I should fit in with you. Right. Um, but the 
the fact of the matter was it, it just wasn't the case because my quote-unquote friends would bully me at church. Um, so I hated going to church. Um, and as the years progressed, it got worse because these same friends that bullied me um, started to step into leadership. So they were leading the congregation in worship and looking all holy. But in the back, I'm just sitting there like, wait, didn't you bully me a couple years ago? Like, I can't accept this. Um, so I was very turned off to Christianity growing up. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to Dominican, uh, you know, I, I got to the school and there was still an inclination in me to faith. And so I tried to get involved in this Bible study. Um, and, you know, the more I look back at it, it was really more of a cult. Um, I remember there was, uh, there was a guy that would come to my door every morning and he would knock at the door um, just at random times. Did you read the Bible to, uh, did you read your Bible today? And I'd be like, hey, good to see you too, man. Like, um, and it was, it, was, it was very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. It was very legalistic and uh, you know, I had to cut it off. Um, and you know, he would still persist, but you know, I, I kind of kept my distance and that also um, caused me to keep distance from the faith as well. Um, I remember um, the biggest struggle at the time was, uh, you know, I, I still wanted to be Christian. So the biggest thing I drew, I drew from that Bible study is the importance of reading the Bible. And I think for me, um, there were times where it would just be me and this, this book um, with words that came alive and just quiet times with the Lord. And I think that's where, for me, my change started to happen. Um, and that's where Nidin started to accept who he was. Um, but at the same time, this this identity class was still happening and it was manifesting itself again. And so I was reading my Bible some days, but at the same time, like every other freshman, drinking a lot of apple juice if you're catching my drift. Um, and so that summer, I got to withdraw from Dominican University. And I withdraw, but you know, I went back home for the summer. And uh, I really just got to just just really dig deeper at who Nidin is. And I remember, uh, you know, just being around some really good guys that were church friends and, you know, they really helped me identify who I was as a Christian, but also um, as a young man growing up, um, inspiring to be an impactful uh, presence on society. Um, and, you know, I came back to Dominican and uh, I, th I think this is where the story gets funny is because the guys on my team are like, what the heck is going on here? Um, I think these guys can give a verbal confirmation that uh, freshman year Nidin was very weird, so. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think I, I was very open. I was like, you know, I am, I am a Christian now. I accept my faith. And so this opened up a lot of dialogue for discussion because they were like, what happened to the old And they were very curious. Um, and so we got into debates a lot. And, and this is why I love my team. You know, we, we, you would think a bunch of jocks would not be talking about, you know, faith and philosophy. No, that's what we were doing until uh, late at night. Um, even just last week, we had a specific class of conversation, and uh, it was me and a buddy, and we were uh, we were talking about the identity of who Jesus is. And so, I feel like the four world popular worldviews of who Jesus is is he's uh, he's the son of God, which is what I prescribe to. He's a moral teacher. He's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Um, and so, I was defending that he was the son of God, and my friend was defending that he was a moral teacher. Um, and so his uh, idea or what he believes is that Mary had sex and she was impregnated and that that was a big cover-up, uh, that Jesus was the son of God was a big cover-up to hide her virgin identity. Um, and so um, I was like, I don't know if I believe that. And at that point, um, you know, I said that Jesus had not professed to be the son of God until um, he was in full ministry. And uh, at which he said, uh, that's not true. People definitely along the way said that. And I was like, well, my, the Bible that I believe, you know, the book of bases that my faith is built upon doesn't say so. And he looked at me and said, you can't take that book literally. And we both stormed off. Um, and I think, you know, there were some people in that, in that room that were just like, what just happened? And um, I think, and this is why I love my team. Because, you know, the next morning, everything was okay. You know, we, we, were, we were just good friends and everything was fine. And we actually continued that conversation later that night, too. Um, and I think the importance of why I give that anecdote is because I think we live in a generation that is very, very surface level. Uh, you know, we are a generation that takes 600 selfies just to get the, to the perfect one. Um, I think in a generation like that, we need to push to having more earnest and um, honest conversations that push us closer to the truth. Um, and the reason why me and my friend were able to have a conversation or even me on the guys uh, on the team are able to have that conversation is because we all have our own world views, and they're all sacred in our own eyes, and, we, and you know, we, we respect that. We don't have these conversations to win people over, but to understand each other better. Um, and I think that's one of the keys as to why our team is such a close-knit group. Um, 
Nowadays, when people uh, challenge me with their worldviews or I face insecurities, that's totally okay because uh, I know who Nidin Thomas is and that's ingrained into my soul. So thanks for listening to my story. Thank you, Nidin. Okay, the power of prayer and the belief of and the belief that God sends help to the generous of heart form the core of our next story. A story about a father and the influence his life has had on a proud and loving daughter. Please welcome that daughter, Asma Anil. Uh, okay, hi. Uh, sometimes we lose our trusting in God. And sometimes uh, we clash with the world around us uh, through what we believe and through uh, what we wear. But no matter our religion or how we look like. Uh, my name is Asma. I am from Saudi Arabia. My major is computer science and I am a junior. Uh, my religion is Islam. And uh, my faith always uh, helped me to be happy and to uh, feel peaceful and give peace to others and also to uh, overcome my difficulties in the life. And the person who, who teaches me that is my father. Uh, my father is my role model and he is my teacher in the life. Uh, my father studied at uh, Lazar University in Egypt. And after he finished his degree, my grandfather decided to surprise him and open for him uh, a small restaurant like to, start, to help him start his life. And uh, my and my grandfather know that my father is so smart, so uh, if he opened for him the restaurant, he could uh, like make it succeed. So he opened the restaurant for him, and uh, the restaurant. Uh, my father also like uh, worked really really hard to make it like uh, unique and special. So and he had a lot of ideas for this restaurant to make it like succeed. Um, so he. Uh, uh, first, he decided to like uh, make it uh, like uh, wider and international. So he decided to travel outside the country to uh, bring more chefs, like the best chefs that they can cook their own uh, food in the in the in the restaurant. And he did that actually successfully. So uh, the restaurant uh, become like had uh, it had like a lot of um, many type of food, like Indian food, Italian food. And after all that success, uh, also my, my father was uh, like really um, care about uh, poor people. So he decided to open another side of the restaurant uh, to help the poor people and to feed them. And he opened for them another side of the restaurant because he was care about their feeling and uh, he doesn't uh, wa want them to like feel shamed because they, <coughs> they are poor. So uh, he um, decided to open another like side from uh, the restaurant so they can come to eat and they can also take to their families. Uh, after all of that success, the, the restaurant became really popular and in, at that time. And uh, uh, one day, uh, there is a man who came to my father and asked him to partnership with him. And my father like uh, really welcome um, for this idea and he uh, decided to like make this partnership with him and he did that successfully and uh, uh, they worked together like uh, for a year and that was so success uh, after that my after that they uh, they decided to open the other restaurant like uh, in this uh, the same name but in different place uh, so uh, they open it and they work really hard to make it like success too and uh, while my father was traveling to bring more uh, workers to the to the restaurant uh, the other man decided to uh, take advantage of my father's trust and take advantage of his authority that he had and he's, he decided to steal everything from the restaurant so he stole the money of the restaurant he stole the cooking machine of the restaurant and he stole the important papers that related to the restaurant and he disappeared uh, after my father came back, he found that a lot of problems waiting for him. Uh, the workers need their, need their salary and uh, the company of the cooking machine need their money. So, uh, and he didn't really know what to do. 
uh, and my grandfather uh, felt so so sorry for him and uh, he blamed himself for that so he decided to uh, to help him and he uh, sold his land to uh, help him um, like pay the salary for the worker and he did that and uh, my father could get rid of this problem um, after a period of time uh, while my father was uh, traveling far from home, uh, he was in a bad accident, and every piece in, the, in his car broke, and people thought he died, because the car looked like um, the person died in, inside the car. So, And uh, they called the ambulance, the ambulance came, and uh, they took him to the hospital, and they found that he broke his backbone, and he had a problem in his leg. And uh, after they, they did for him surgery after surgery, they found that he will not uh, walk again. And they told us that. So I cannot describe how we were feeling in that time because we really like were sad and uh, we cannot accept that. And we were thinking how, how my father will accept that. And uh, also we were thinking how, he, how we will tell him that. And in the end, we decide that we will not tell him. We will just wait until he get uh, better and finish his time in the hospital and could go home. Uh, and in that time, the poor people who were uh, who, who who was like uh, helping or feeding or my father was feeding them uh, hear that my father sick, so they they were praying for him all the time, and uh, we pray actually too. And after that, we, after we wait like for four months, uh, we discovered that uh, the hospital has a system that they uh, bring uh, doctors from outside the country every four months uh, to check the patient in the hospital. Uh, so God sent one of them to my father's room and to check his file and to found that maybe he could uh, walk uh, if he did for him uh, a surgery. And he told us that, and we told him, like, uh, please do it. And we, in that time, we had a hope again that maybe my father could walk again. Uh, yeah, so uh, he did for him the surgery. And uh, thank God that my father could, uh, could walk again because the surgery succeeds. Uh, so what I learned from my father's story is uh, it's okay if we help uh, people, and it's okay if we, it, it's okay if we like, um, trust others because uh, God will take care of us and uh, it's okay if we help uh, people without uh, waiting something to return because God will return uh, this help one day. Uh, so maybe some of you or some people uh, would choose uh, not to trust again after my father's experience, but uh, my father's faith guides him to uh, <clears throat> uh, clash with others and uh, he chose to trust again. Uh, and he clashed with others' culture to like to choose to trust again, and this is my choice too. Thank you. Thank you, Asma. So before introducing our next story, let me tell you a little bit about the uh, Soul Stories project. It's, it's ongoing, and throughout the year, there'll be many opportunities and venues for you to share your soul stories with others across our Dominican University community. So if you'd like to share a story or be an audience member during a, another storytelling event, please keep your ears and your eyes open for upcoming dates and times. And now our final storyteller of the day, Claudia Guzman, who will be telling us a tale of how two extremely different people managed to bridge what seemed to be an unbridgeable, an unbridgeable chasm and in the process forged a deep held uh, friendship. So please welcome Claudia Guzman. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so I met Sarah when I was doing a year of postgraduate service in St. Louis with a program called Vincentian Mission Corps. Um, it was, I was doing a program, I had just graduated from college and I wanted to do something different. I knew that my soul was asking me to do something different. I had just returned from Kenya 
and I was moving into this program um, a few weeks after it had started. So I was very nervous to, to go into St. Louis and to, and to not know what to expect since this community has already been, had already been formed. So I remember arriving to St. Louis and being greeted um, by three young women. And within minutes, it was very clear to tell that we had very different stories and backgrounds, which made me a little nervous. There was Katrina, who was from the St. Louis suburbs, and she had studied theology at St. Louis University. There was Caitlin, who was from Greensboro, North Carolina, and studied theology at Duke University. And there was Sarah, who was from a small town in Ohio, population less than 300 people, and she went to Ohio State, the Ohio State University, and studied theology as well. She was also the captain of the women's basketball state of the women's basketball team of, of Ohio State. Um, her senior year, she tore her ACL for the second time, um, which resulted in her giving up her dream to go to the WNBA. So she, naturally, she decided that she was going to join a semi-cloistered women's religious order. <laughs> Um, and her year in St. Louis was just her trying to find out which semi-cloistered religious order she was going to join. Then there was me, Claudia, a Latina from the southwest side of Chicago, the daughter of working class Mexican immigrant parents who had just graduated from a very progressive Catholic university where I studied uh, social movements in Latin America and peace studies. So. If that doesn't tell you how different I was from my roommates, I don't know what will. So, you know, I could I arrive where they're they're so kind, they're helping me unpack, and as I'm unpacking my room, Sarah, who is very clearly the most different from me, starts to look at some of the stuff that I was unpacking, pictures of me at protests with my friends, uh, pictures of my graduation cap that said living wages. Um, newspaper clips from the Catholic worker, uh, quotes from Dorothy Day, and you could tell by her fish, oh, I had best, I have a bumper sticker that's all these little fish eating a big fish, and it says organize, and her facial reaction, and she was like, where do you want me to put this? <laughs> um, so it was quite clear that we had two different backgrounds. Um, so as they're helping me unpack, they're like, Claudia, let's give you a tour of, of of the house. So the house that I was living in actually used to be a former convent. So it was really cool and it was really big. So they were showing me all these new rules that they had established and all this stuff. And the tour ends with a, uh, them showing me our chapel. So we had a chapel in our house. Um, and it was a sanctified chapel, which meant that the presence of Christ was there through, um, through the Eucharist in a tabernacle. And Sarah was teaching me all these things of what I had to do to take care of the chapel. And I was half listening because in my mind I was thinking, yeah, you're going to be the one to do that. I'm not taking care of the chapel. So after they're done giving me this whole tour, they're like, we're going to go to the local Greek Orthodox Church is having their street festival. Claudia, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, of course. You know, first night in St. Louis. Yeah, I want to spend it at a festival. So we're going on the way to a festival. And this is no offense at this moment. So we get into the car and I, I don't know how to drive. I never had to drive. I grew up in the city my whole entire life. CTA was my limo. And we're, I'm getting in the car and the first thing my, my, my roommates turn on is some very, um, what I would call at that moment, I don't call this anymore, like hippie dippy Jesus music. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what are we listening to? This is, this is not what I listen to back home. So we're driving to the Greek festival, listening to our hippie deep Jesus music. They're singing along and I'm feeling very uncomfortable in the back. Um, we get to the Greek Orthodox festival and they are talking about all this stuff about the doctors of the Catholic church and all these saints and really holy stuff and miracles that, you know, Mary witnessed and apparitions and this whole entire time I have nothing to contribute to the conversation. I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And thinking we're going to stay later in the festival, we go there for an hour. They decided to come back because Sarah, whom the story's actually about, um, decides she, she, she had just gotten a new movie about Mother Teresa, so she wanted us to go back home early to watch it. And so, I, so we go back to the convent, because I live in a convent now at this point. 
And I'm thinking it's my first Saturday night in St. Louis and I'm coming back home listening to hippy dippy Jesus music in the car and watching a movie about Mother Teresa. Like, great, good. <laughs> I remember going to bed that night thinking like, WTF, like what did I just get myself into and how do I get myself out of this? Um, things got better, right? Um, and as time pro progressed and I was getting ready to start at my job site, um, I was told that Sarah was going to be the one that would be driving me to my work site every day and, and driving me back. So I, I was really excited, only Sarah and I had two completely different lives. Let me tell you what a typical day looked for Sarah. She'd wake up at 5 in the morning, get ready for work, go into our chapel, our sanctified chapel at 5.30 a.m., leave our chapel at 5.57 to walk next door to the church that was next to us to go to Mass, come back to our house by 6.30, go to the chapel again for another half hour, and then when we would get then get ready for eat her breakfast, then I would join her in the car at 7.30 a.m. and we would make it our way to work. When she would come back from work, she would go straight back to the chapel, pray again, have dinner time, we would eat dinner time, we would have spend time communing together, she would go back to the chapel afterwards, spend more time communing together, and then back to the chapel again. My day was not like that. I got home from work and I'd usually open up a bottle of wine and enjoy my first year out of college. Um, and and, and you, it was quite clear that Sarah and I, we just, I was the Catholic that, I was the progressive Catholic that Sarah in her conservative Catholic upbringing was warned about. And Sarah, for, for me, was in my progressive Catholic upbringing, the crazy conservative Catholic that I was warned about. And we never talked about it, but it, there was so much tension. I remember one time coming home from work, and this time I had to come home later, so I, I had to get a different ride. And I, I was a vegetarian at the moment, I was a vegetarian for seven years, and Sarah grew up in a hunting atmosphere, and she would always talk about her guns and killing animals and all this stuff, and I was like, no, you don't do that, you, you don't. And so one time I got home, and she decided she was gonna display all these pictures of all these dead animals, because you know, you, you hunt and you kill, and then you take a picture, you know, I didn't know that was normal where she was from and so she decided she was just gonna get me angry and show me all these pictures leave lay out all these pictures of these dead animals um and i i would get back at her too um me and my roommates we got really into how i met your mother and modern family and every single time we would turn that show on sarah would go into the chapel and start praying for us <laughs> so i would intentionally be like, we're going to watch Modern Family right now. Let's watch the most scandalous episode. So we would watch whatever, and I would turn up the volume as she was on the chapel, because our living room and our chapel were right next to each other. And I was like, yeah, let's have Jesus listen to this too. And my roommate would look at me, she's like, Claudia, you are so evil. And I would just laugh. But this, this, is, this was our relationship. This was, this was what it was. Now, I will say, after time, you know, we, we did drive in the car many many for a whole year um, and our conversations went from less awkward to like developing a relationship and I really think what started happening was that Sarah was working in South St. Louis at a, a Catholic school that actually ended up cl closing because it, it was a very impoverished Catholic school and for the first time she was being exposed to social injustices and poverty issues that she had never been exposed to before so she's so she started to ask me questions, and she had so many questions, but I was the person she felt comfortable talking to, slash I was the person, she had me for twice a day for 45 minutes in a car. So we talked, and I would talk to her about my upbringing, and she would talk to me about her upbringing, and slowly before I knew it, like we started developing a friendship, and we kind of liked each other after a while. Um, I remember um, it was, uh, it was December, December 12th was coming up, and for Mexicans um, in the Catholic Church, uh, December 12th is the Día de Virgen de Guadalupe. So we, uh, I really, really wanted to go, and like I said, I didn't know how to drive, so I relied on her taking me everywhere. So for a few days, I kept nagging her. I was like, can you please take me to Mass at 5 in the morning, December 12th? You know, you like Mass, you like Jesus, like you like Mary. And she would turn around looking at me like, Claudia, I am not going to Mass in Spanish. And I'd be like, come on, Sarah. Finally, on December 11th, and I was going to bed defeated after like throwing a fit um, in one of our community nights. She just she comes into knocks on my door and she's like, "We're leaving at 4:45. You better be ready." 
<laughs> so we did, and we went. Um, and she went to mass in Spanish for the first time, and she heard us sing Las Mañanitas to the Virgen de Guadalupe, and she had Mexican food after, a lot of conchas. Um, so it was quite great. Um, and, and afterwards, we, we had just a beautiful conversation in, in the car that really developed her asking a lot of questions about my culture. Um, so sure enough, like time went on and, and things, things started to grow between us. We became kind of inseparable. And, and I think the, one of the best moments it describes is our other roommate, Caitlin, my, my modern family girl. She, would, she asked and she was like, so when did you and Sarah become friends? And, and it was this million dollar question. We, we couldn't tell exactly when we became friends. Um, so yeah, in May, um, so Ch Chicago was having this huge protest a few years ago in May and buildings were getting boarded up. And me being who I am was like, we gotta go. And Sarah was like, no. And I was like, I need you to drive me. And she was like, no, we're not going. I was like, Sarah, I can't miss this. All my friends are gonna be there and I need to be there. And she was like, absolutely not. Sure enough, it was Saturday morning and I woke up and she was like, let's go get in the car, we're going. Um, I, she had a weakness for me. Um, and we go, and the cool part is that we were going to have to stay at my parents' house. So this is the first time that Sarah was ever staying in the southwest side of Chicago, a Mexican neighborhood with a Mexican family, and she was going to have to eat a Mexican dinner and eat a Mexican breakfast and go to mass in Spanish. And then, on top of that, I was going to have to join me and my crazy friends at a protest. It was, it was, it was a wild weekend for her. Um, <laughs> But I remember as we got back in the car after she had spent time with my family, after we had gone to mass, she was just, it was, it was the first time that I think she actually saw me and understood where I came from after she got to know my family. Sure enough, uh, the favor was returned um, a few weeks later as Sarah had already decided which religious order she was going to go to. She uh, was joining the Alton Franciscans in Southern Illinois. And she only had a few weeks left with us before she would have to go home for a, for a bit before coming back to join the order. Um, so she invited me to go over to her house. So I was getting really excited to go to her house. I was like, oh, I've never been to Ohio before. Uh, jokes on me, I spent two years living in Ohio for grad school. Um, but yeah, so I was like, I've never been to Ohio before. I don't know what to expect. Like, what if like the people in her town like don't don't know what to do with me? And because Sarah kept saying, I don't think my parents have ever seen a Mexican before. Um, so it was just it was a very exciting but scary feeling. So we finally got to Ohio, and we we got to her house, and we did cool things like I shot gun for the first time. We went to her backyard and we were shooting at cans. Um, I played hide and go seek in the cornfields. I played hide and go. We played sardines at Walmart, um, and it was it, it was such a great experience. And then I went to mass with her family. Um, when when people ask me nowadays, like where where does a lot of my my devotional faith come from? I, I don't know how to explain that. So much of it I got from Sarah. For Lent one year, I didn't know what I wanted to give up. So Sarah comes and looks at me. She's like, you're going to fast after lunch during Lent. You're going to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet with me every day um, to work, which is a, a devotional for mercy and forgiveness that's used in the Catholic Church. She's like, and you're not going to drink alcohol. And I was like, OK, deal. But you are going to. Oh, and I had to go to mass with her every day. I don't know if I said that as well. And I told her that she was going to come to protests and speakers with me and that she would um, have to give up meat for Lent. And so sure enough, for 40 days, we went to mass together every day. We prayed to the Divine Mercy Chaplet. We prayed the rosary. And all of a sudden, when I would get in the car, I would like turn on to my favorite hippie dippy Jesus music. And I was like, oh my goodness, who am I? <laughs> and Oh, I remember one time she came home with this series called Catholicism series by um, Father Barron, now Bishop Barron. And she's like, we're going to watch all these. And I was like, heck no, we're not. She's like, yes, we are. And I watched them with her for Lent, and I loved them. <laughs> Full disclosure, the following year for Christmas, when my parents asked me what I wanted. I told them, I want Catholicism series by Father Barron. And they got it for me, so I'm an owner of the series now. But what people don't understand is that sometimes they, they, they make fun of me for my, my own 
experience, um, but they don't understand how much a, the impact the person had in, in my life and on my soul and how that person has transformed me. And sometimes, you know, I like to go to mass and if I could go to daily mass, I do. Um, but what people don't understand that I go to mass, not so much to spend time with Jesus, but to spend time with everyone and to spend time with Sarah. Before I, um, before Sarah left, the last time I had saw her before she joined the order, she wrote, she bought me a book and it was called, it's called The Little Way of Holiness by, for The Little Way of Holiness for Mother Teresa, Therese of Lisieux and Dorothy Day. And she said when she saw it, she just knew she had to give it to me. So inside of the cover, she, she, she wrote me like, you know, like a nice little sappy story. And she writes off with saying, Claudia, remember that no matter what happens, we'll always see each other in the Eucharist. Whenever you miss me, go to mass and there you'll be able to find me. P.S. I'll meet you in the Eucharist. Thank you, Claudia, and um, thanks to all of our storytellers today. I told you clipping on your listening ears was a good idea. Um, I'd also like to thank everyone who was involved in shepherding this inaugural Soul Stories event. I see Claire, I see Warren Green, Amy, and anyone else that was involved, if you could just wave your hand. for live Arts and Minds programs can be found online at events.dom.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to the production team of Samantha Barr and Patrick Serrano. Theme music is 10 Days Sailing by El Rey Music. Closing music, so proudly Dominican, composed and played by Sue Kaczynski. The views and opinions of the speakers in the podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Dominican University. A wise Dominican sister once said, The search for wisdom, for love, for truth, is strenuous and unending. It takes good companions to persevere in it. Thank you for joining us.